Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner. Don't worry. Don't adjust your set. Don't touch that dial. It's not you. It's me. Um, I'm just thinking we should see other podcasts. Welcome to Hardcore Church Planning today. Yes, that noise in the background is the buzz, not of a million bees, but and it's also not the voices in your head. It's actually my gardener, who never comes on the day that I do the podcast, but hey, it's California. It rained. It's like we did finally drop off into the ocean. Um, it's that catastrophic here in California when that happens. There's car crashes, you know, cats and dogs hugging each other, um, pure pandemonium. And my guest today is a man who's just calm, cool, collected. He's been there and back. He's been around the block. He's got some wisdom. He's the Paul Dieter Timothy. I have a, I would say, a, a not a long-term listener, but a long-time writer for Church Planner Magazine. His name is Dave Page. If you're part of the EFC, you know him as the former uh, director of church planning for a decade, and he is now currently uh, newly appointed in a position. He is on staff with Rick Warren at Saddleback, overseeing multi-sites and different aspects of that. And Dave, welcome on to Hardcore Church Planning. Great to be here, Peyton. Good to meet you, and hello to all your listeners. <laughs> all right. You know, every time you say my name or you say you, that chime rings. It's kind of like, you know, every time a bell rings, you know, an angel gets his wings. For me, it's, you know, it just happens. You know, it'll it'll get annoying after a while, but just roll with it. And uh, so, hey, Dave, um, first question we always like to ask is, how did you come to faith? Yeah, so... I was raised in a Christian home, uh, but did not come to Christ in that. Um, was going my own way, uh, loved basketball more than I loved God, and so wanted to play college basketball. Uh, played in high school, got a college scholarship. My dad said, I'm only going to send you to college if you go to Christian college. So I was like, you know, I got a scholarship. And so went and played for University of New Orleans, uh, the coach who recruited me. Um, ended up leaving after a year. He'd been there 12 years. And um, and I came back to California. And I was going to go to UCSB. And I ended up going to Westmont College through uh, some of God's circumstances. And while at Westmont, my sophomore year, uh, went out, found there were actually partiers at a Christian college. Um, got involved with that, was into partying. And uh, was out partying one night, came back to my dorm room. It's about one o'clock at night. My roommate was out partying and I just felt this unbelievable conviction of the Holy Spirit and came into the room and um, just like God meeting me right there, um, showing me that I wasn't living for him, didn't know him, believed in Jesus, but didn't know him personally and literally got down on my knees and um, asked him to forgive me. I told him I'd blown my life up to that point. I was 19 and whatever I would lift, left, I want to live for him 
and I made him Lord of my life, and my whole life changed. Felt like a hundred bricks were lifted off my shoulders, um, and that was the beginning of my walk with Christ. That is very cool. And whenever I hear a story like that, I'm always picturing like somewhere in some little teeny spot in South Carolina is an old 85-year-old woman named Mabel who was on her knees at that moment praying. And you never know. Like that is a Holy Spirit encounter right there. And who who can explain these things, right? It was. And there had been times, I remember in high school, I'd come home. Um, after basketball practice, and I'd go upstairs. I I didn't know anybody's home, and I'd go in my mom and dad's room, and there was my mom on her knees praying in front of the dresser. She didn't even know I was there, and I saw her, and there were many times I felt like she's praying for me. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. I got a I got a letter once that I sent off, and I felt this burden to pray over this letter and wrote it, and when the person got it, now, I didn't find out for a number of months, but they got on their knees after reading the letter and gave their heart to the Lord and surrendered. And, and it was a tough case, man. It was not, it was somebody who was very difficult to reach. And I'm not going to embarrass him on here, but it was one of those things, man. You know, the power of prayer. But it's cool that we started off there. Now, you have planted um, a number of churches. And you've also um, been able to oversee the launching um, of many churches, disciple many church planters, and over the years coached, you know, however many church, I mean, you, you would know, I, I suppose the number is not important, but the experience is. And so it's really an honor to have you not only write for the magazine and, and really, I always see it as kind of like, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. And, you know, church planning is hard enough without doing it the hard way. And so the value of having people like yourself that have walked there ahead and been able to look back and had a heart to look back at the younger generation and said, Hey, like Paul, you know, my ministry is about your ministry now. Um, that's really valuable. And I don't think church planners always are aware of people like yourself who have, have been in the trenches, you know, have, have shed the blood, sweat and tears. And are, are are ready to do that. Well, let, let's get a little history about you first, and find out. You know, how did you get involved with this crazy little dance called church planning? Yeah, so I never thought about it. Um, you know, I went to college, was a business economics major, wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was thirty. Was heading in that direction, and then had that experience um, and accepted Christ and. Didn't feel called into ministry at that point. Um, still went into business, and um, but it was in business and serving in a local church, uh, what is now Shepherd of the Hills Church in the San Fernando Valley, North American Christian Church. And I was working with youth and um, in working with the youth, doing Bible studies uh, with them. Um, I just felt God kind of calling me into ministry. And um didn't jump right into it, kind of stiff-armed God for about three months. Different teenagers would come up and say, hey, do you feel called? And no, I didn't. And so then after like three months of just saying, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want. And uh, so I surrendered to a call to be in a ministry. Didn't know what that meant, just I wanted to serve him in my vocation and my life. Uh, went to seminary up in the Bay Area, Golden Gate Baptist, one of the uh, Southern Baptist seminaries. 
and uh, while I was there as a youth minister, and while I was in seminary, um, had a class on church growth, and remember that and thinking, wow, that would be exciting. How cool would that be to start your own church from the ground up? And I thought that would be great, but I never thought I would do it. And so then after I'd been out, I came back on staff at Shepherd of the Hills. I was 25 and um, got married just a couple of years after that. And so my wife and I uh, were married. We're newlyweds. We'd only been married a few months. And out of my quiet time, I, I felt God speak to my heart, say, I want you to plant a church and I want you to start it now. And didn't know where. I went to my wife and I said, uh, honey, I feel God's calling us to plant a church. And she said, I don't think that's God. Yeah, baby. <laughs> no, she just like, honey, I don't know, you know, what, what you're thinking, <laughs> but I don't think that's God. She said, you don't plant churches. They're just there. You go to them. Yeah. So that was that was the beginning. What she didn't realize is that she had been involved in a church plant since she was a baby. Her dad and a bunch of educators uh, helped start First Baptist Church of Simi Valley. And that's what she grew up in. And she didn't even know it was a church plant. And so I expected that because it was kind of news to me, you know, that God was calling us to do this. And so then we um, we prayed and I just said, honey, God's not going to call me and not call you. We're a team. So let's pray about it for a week and then come back and share notes. And three days later, she came back to me and she said, honey, I believe God's calling us to start a church and I'll go anywhere in the world you feel he's calling us. And I was like, yes, I think we've got a church here. And that is we awesome. We narrowed it down to three areas, and we visited two, prayed over those, and together decided on an area. And this was in the 90s, and so we did a basically like a parachute. We didn't know anybody in the city we planted in. We moved in. We started a Bible study of our house, and, and we launched our church. Very and, cool. Yeah. That's how wow. I got into it. Well, that's cool, man. That you know, and that that's a a big piece of wisdom to all the guys out there. They're like, "Hey, I've heard that same song. My wife loves that music, and she has often said to me, I 'I don't think we're called.' And you know, what what would you say to our church planners listening out there who are in that that same boat, where maybe they're really enthusiastic and their spouse isn't? Yeah, I would tell them, go easy on the spouse, um, pray with them, take your time. You don't want to plant the church if your spouse is not encouraging it, if they're not enthusiastic about it. Now, my wife never felt called into ministry like I did. I have pastor friends, I'm sure you do too. That You, you said pastor just then, so it chimed. That That's close enough, you know. Uh, you have minister friends, <laughs> church planting friends who their wives felt just as called as they did to plant the church. That wasn't the case with mine. My wife uh, teaches kids with autism, and that's been her career. It was then. And so she felt called to come alongside me. And so I think if, if a pastor is dealing with that, and his wife's not enthusiastic about it, give her time, be patient with her. And let the Holy Spirit mold her heart and build that enthusiasm. And until that comes, don't plant the church. Don't do it. Yeah, I agree. You know, and here's here's the thing that 
that really I think a lot of young guys in particular, you know, we, we can be bullheaded, meatheaded. And I just, again, I knew you're going to go that direction. So, so I asked that because I think some guys just need to hear that, that, Hey, you know, give her room. You know, you're all excited. Like everybody talks to you. You know, you go to a conference. I was like, Hey, church planning man, you know, Hey, guy wants to go into ministry. No one's really talking to them. And, you know, I, I find that so beautiful because I think all of us, um, almost every church planner I've ever met has that very similar journey of, oh, you know, and the wife kind of, she goes, oh, I don't know. Guys, the worst thing you could ever do is, is start, you know, stomping your foot and saying, me men, you know, me Tarzan, you Jane, cheetah, boy, follow Tarzan. And, 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 and it's a mistake. And guys that do that end up, you know, coming home in body bags pretty quick. So, you know, tell you a story real quick. So we did the first church uh, eight years in Southern California. Then we felt God calling to do it again in Northern California, outside of Sacramento. My wife as well contacted Rick and Saddleback again. And they had they flew us down for the weekend services. Rick and Kay and Glenn and Joanne. uh, Glenn was his executive pastor at the time, took us out to dinner. And they were considering sponsoring us again. They'd been a sponsor for the first church. And the only question they had was, Carrie, are you as enthusiastic about this second plant as Dave is? And she just was like, absolutely. We both feel God calling us. We're so excited. And they said, that's all we need to know. We will help sponsor you guys again. So they understood the importance of it. And, and I agree with you. It just, you don't want to move forward until you have that. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, and this kind of goes into, I suppose, the, the coaching bag of tricks, because I'm sure, Dave, over the years, you've heard it all. And you've, you've probably had to walk with guys through probably almost every imaginable issue and problem that planners have to face. And, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. And I, I'm, I'm just wondering if you can unpack some of the, you know, maybe even if it was like, you know, the three major, um, issues that you see church planners facing. What are the, the, the things that you, you find yourself having to really go over a lot? The common issues coming up. Sure, sure. So I liken it to landmines, right? There's landmines out there and you want to try and avoid those landmines. Um, and I think one of the best ways to do that is to get somebody else who's been down that path, like you were talking about. So if they can get a coach, not just somebody who's a pastor of an existing church. I mean, that person can be a great, um, you know, encouragement for them, but they don't know church planting. So to get somebody who's planted a church and done well and knows those issues and can point out those landmines uh to avoid. I think one of the biggest mistakes that church planners make is they start the church prematurely. They start it when they don't really have enough people in the core group. They don't have enough to get critical mass in the beginning of the church plant. And then they start and then they're going and they're kind of dead in the water. It's really hard to build up momentum after you've launched. So taking more time, building up momentum, doing things. We, we train our guys in doing previous services. 
and building the core group and building the launch team until they launch. And then launching with as many people as possible, knowing that you're going to lose some of those people the Sunday after, but hopefully after that you still have a good critical mass. Um, because what I see over and over in a lot of guys um, is they'll still start and they maybe have 100 people their first Sunday and then they have 50. And then the next Sunday they have 40. And, and it's more like a large Bible study than it is a church at that point. And then they can't afford to, you know, even pay themselves, bring on staff. Um, I live in Southern California. So we used to say in the FCA that if a church in Southern California was 100 or under, they were a high-risk church, even existing churches, not just church plants. Because one or two good givers could leave, and now they're, they're financially strapped. And, um, you know, churches like businesses, they, they, they stop a lot of times because they run out of cash flow, unfortunately. Um, so let, me, I think- let, me ask you, let me ask you real quick, because um, obviously, you know, this is quite a controversial topic. And, right, right. you know, you've got, you've got people who, um, you know, planners out there and particularly the younger generation coming up, they're, they're saying, Hey, I don't need the church plant to support me. Right. I will. And, and I'm not going to put myself in the position of supporting the church plant either. But right. you, you, you hear people talking a lot about gathering. And so, in some ways, we've got a new generation of planters coming up. Do you see it as as a healthy thing if if planters are going into it saying, "I'm going to be bivocational," you know, more of a team leadership? Some of the the less traditional models coming up. Um, what what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it can work. Um, I haven't seen it work that well, to be quite honest with you. And I've dealt with a lot of them, and even guys that go into it starting saying that five years into it, it's a, it's a different issue many times. And they're looking to become supportive. They start off by vocational, but I don't think they really think it through and, and look at the model they're doing because many times the model they're doing perpetuates a bivocational pastor for the life of that church. And I think they're okay at the beginning, but I don't think they think it quite through. Um, so that, that's been my experience. I mean, I've seen a lot of guys. I mean, it sounds really good, um, but I've seen a lot of guys who have done it, and then they come back five years later or more and say, boy, I wish I would have listened to you. I wish I would have launched larger. I wish we would have gotten more people in our group, and I wish we would have reached more people. Now, if they start that way and they grow and they're reaching people for Christ and they're discipling people – that's awesome. And I don't care what model you use. If they're doing that, that that's what it's all about. Uh, but I've seen that many times over and over where it will start off that way and great intentions. Um, but then the reality is, you know, let's say they start the church at 25, five years later, they're 30, 10 years later, they're 35. Now they got two kids, house payments, insurance. It's just a whole different ballgame. Right. And and the other thing too is when you're at that point and and if you have a work that is growing, you are eventually going to need to probably go full time anyways as as a church does start, you know, and 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 so there are different models. What I find across the board 
is everybody thinks their model's the right model. I'm, I'm kind of an omnivore. I like them all, right? I think they're all good for different things. So for example, like I'm about as frontline, non-establishment, radical, does things backwards as I think they come, right? And yet Rick Warren, who you work for, is one of my top heroes in, in church. So for me, you have to be an omnivore <laughs> to kind of say, you know, to, to hold the stances I hold and yet still go, I love, as Rick says, the elephants, the tigers and the rabbits. And yeah. so, you know, what's kind of cool is, you know, I think a lot of people, they're going into it, as you mentioned, perhaps altruistically. Um, you know, maybe they've read a book and they're like, that's the way to do it. Bivocational. I think bivocational in some ways, like you said, makes it easier to penetrate and to reach people. But if a church grows like the apostles, when they grew to thousands of people, which, you know, those that snub their nose at, at, at megachurch forget that the first thing the Holy Spirit did in Acts was plan a megachurch. And they all of a sudden had all these problems that could only be addressed by becoming full-time vocational ministers with a staff of 12. And, oh, yeah, they had to, one of their first things they had to do was add seven more staff members, <laughs> you know? So... I do like, I mean, I, I have a friend that planted a church and he worked another job. So he was bivocational, but he did it strategically so that he could bring on other staff. So he put their salaries above his own salary. And then after two or three years, then was able to pay him. But by, by doing that, he strategically was able, they were able to reach more people. They were able to bring people, more people on staff. And then it was able to um, help support him. Um, yeah. So I admire guys who are, um, I call them spiritual entrepreneurs yeah. and guys who want to just go out and do that. And they don't have, you know, they, they maybe have a good trade and they can do that. And, and some of them want to stay in that. Um, but most of the guys I met, even the guys that start off on that, they do that just for a season. Yeah, amen. At five years down the road, um, it, it just, it's very taxing. It's very taxing. When I planted my very first church plant, I, um, you know, I was in Wales, UK for 12 years and there's no money there. It's all blue collar and, you know, uh, rough place. I mean, you know, I was everything from a factory worker to a firefighter. But I remember when, when I planted my first church, I worked in Starbucks at first. That didn't pay very well. And then I realized, you know, I, I do need time to, to do other things. If, if I'm going to really do this, could start off as an outreach. And then, uh, I started washing windows, man, I'm telling you, I knocked on every door in my community and had an excuse to do so. And, uh, but eventually it got to a point where we, we did grow and soon, I started to see my role even beyond just the looking after the church because it was all team leadership, Acts 4 stuff. I saw my role as more of an apostolic leader multiplying church planters. That alone could cause a guy to be set apart full time just to multiply. And of course, you're in this role where you're, that's what you're doing is you're multiplying leaders in campuses and church plants. And, uh, and, and so, you know, thinking outside the box, even being set apart to be apostolic is, is, is a, 
is a really helpful thing. And I eventually had the church tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, um, we really need to set you apart and start paying you. And I fought that. It was nice. I was like, hey, you know what? That'd be kind of cool. But, you know, I fought it. But yes, there there were times where that was definitely the right thing. So I appreciate that insight because that's not something that is is that popular. It's about as popular as Trump, I think, right. in, 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 in secular media to talk about those things. But you have traveled this journey a lot. You have seen guys in different ways. So I always find that interesting. It's kind of like the missional conversation. You know, in America, we talk about, you know, the house churches. Then you have a guy like Steve Timmis from overseas who's like, oh, that's cute. You guys just discovered that. Yeah, we've been doing that for like 35 years up in Sheffield. And now we're meeting corporately in big numbers, reaching way more people. And we're so it's temple courts and house to house. We haven't abandoned the homes, but we realize at a certain point that the home. So I think there's this maturation of thought that happens with time and experience. So that's the benefit of having your your vantage point. Now, I know we really kind of camped out on that. Just as kind of quick throwouts, maybe one or two minutes a piece, give us a um, little bit of an insight into maybe two other issues that you see church planners really struggling with. I think one issue is leadership development. So they go into starting the church and, um, you know, so many things are happening and they got 10 balls they're juggling up in the air. And one of the things that, you know, Ed Stetzer found in his survivability study was for new church plants, the biggest issue they identified was developing leaders. And um, not just getting volunteers and training them, but actually developing leaders who lead that they're, they're working on. And so one of the things I do when I coach guys that's the thing that I camp on. That's the thing that I develop. Uh, there's a guy named Joby Martin. He's in Jacksonville, Florida. It's a ch- called Church at 1122. Joby uh, hired me to coach him at an, uh, at an exponential conference. He hired me to coach him a year before he started the church. Very wise uh, pastor. And so I came on and my focus, I taught him church planning principles. He'd never started a church but I also taught him leadership development principles to develop him as a leader to then train to his leaders and staff. And so he started day one developing leaders and the church has just grown like crazy. It's been a great experience um, for him. So I think that's the second one would be um, leadership development. And I think the third one is just self-awareness. What I would call the emotions of a church planner. I don't think we talk about that that much. We talk about models. We talk about skills. We talk about preaching, communication, all of that. We talk about discipleship, but we don't talk enough about the self-awareness and the emotions of the church planter, Uh, because what's ever inside is going to come out when you plant. And we've unfortunately seen a lot of guys fall off by the wayside, you know, just in the last year to two years who kind of crashed and burned, and there were some of these emotional issues that were going on inside of them that, you know, had not been dealt with. And so getting inside and dealing with those and talking about those and helping coach guys through those and developing a 
kind of a healthy emotional life with them and then with their their wife. Wow, that's uh, that's really good. You know, that's something we don't hear a lot about is is maybe you know a planner's own demons, some of those inherent pitfalls that no one's ever really put a finger on. You know, that maybe some of those inner demons that you know haven't quite been exercised. <laughs> and I'm not speaking Pentecostally there. I- <laughs> I was speaking metaphorically. <laughs> yeah, be careful because I float in all the circles. So, <laughs> I had an anger issue, and so it came out about three years into our first church plant. Um, still doing the trailer thing, parking it in the garage. Started a third service. The church was doing really well. We came back um, to the to the house, and we had three small kids, and I parked the trailer came in, it was a summer day, we'd started this third service, and so I asked my wife, I said, how many babies did we have in the nursery? I said, how'd you think the service went? She said, I thought it went great, you know, third service. I said, how many babies we have in nursery? She said, 22. Whoa. Said, 22 in the third service. Oh my gosh, how many workers did we have? She said, three. I said, oh my gosh, well, we'll, we'll take care of that tomorrow. I'll call Kathy, our nursery director. She said, honey, I think you need to do it now. You, you need to get on that right now. So I call her tomorrow. It's my day off. No, Buck stops with you, honey. You're the pastor. Call her. So we went through this whole thing in our living room, and then she she kept doing it. And so finally, this isn't you know it's not good to say this because it's a little. <laughs> bit, I I put my fingers in my ears because I didn't want to hear her anymore. Yeah. Kind of, you know I read about that the Pharisees would do that with Jesus, and so then um, <laughs> I looked and it was still wah wah wah. She's still talking. And then I I went down on the ground. I lost it. I had like this temper tantrum. I never had one in my life as a kid. I started pounding on the ground and just pounding on the ground. And I looked up. She's still talking. And then I stood up and said, <laughs> stop. And I went like this with my elbows. Yeah. And the wall right here and our stairs right here. And I actually punched a hole with my elbow into the wall. So there's our dry you know, the drywall, and there's this hole about this big. Not good when you have people over to your house. You know, what yeah, happened? That's right. You know, I, and so she saw that, and you could hear a pin drop. And she just looked at me, and I looked at her, and she said, you need help. Mm. She was right. And I started, I started six months every week of anger counseling. And so now I like to say, you know, if you're planting a church – Save up a little money each month, and then at the end of the year, use it for anger. <laughs> I love it. So, so it's not the same as like playing, you know, Medal of Honor or something. Picturing those being the people you don't like in the church, the guys you're shooting in that game. It's not well, the same. Help a little bit. <laughs> no, you know what? It's it's really good. Like I I have been to counseling on my own counseling with my wife whether we're doing good or bad like my wife and I are in counseling right now um not because I'm not gonna even lead in the church but I've been married it'll be 20 years this next month my wife and I have a good relationship but it's not always good and I you know I gotta be on like this show is about being honest anyways but but I always tell church planners and we've said this on this podcast a million times go to counseling just make it a part of your everyday um, experience. Go talk to people that will listen, that have the spirit, 
have the training and have your back. That is so important. So really, really good insights. That's huge. And I commend you for doing that. A lot of times pastors, as we know, they'll encourage people to get counseling, but they've been <laughs> counseling themselves, right? And so my it's- wife and I also have been to marriage counseling uh, actually quite a bit. Um, I don't know if you knew this. I don't know how much you know about my background, but um, four years into our second church plant up in Sacramento, uh, we lost our five-year-old daughter to a mm. brain oh, and she died weeks after diagnosis. It was that fast-growing. And so usually when couples go through a terminal illness or a loss like that, uh, a large portion of those marriages don't make it. We knew that going into it. And so we, we got counseling as a result of that, counseling later down the line. And we've just found a great Christian counselor can, can save your marriage and, and, and help get you healthy again as individuals and as a couple. So I really as, Hey, as it happens right now, man, I'm sorry to hear about your daughter. One of my best friends, a guy who spent nine months um, tag team in the pulpit with him here, a church planner here in Oceanside. Um, Five years ago today, uh, well, his son would be five years ago today, and his son was taken by a brain tumor. So that is a very, he's been on my heart and mind all day, and uh, that's a rough thing. Well, guys, listen, um, you know, you're going to have your own trials and things. And um, hey, Dave, thank you so much for taking the time. Before I forget, I want to ask, what are the ways that they can get in touch with you because you do still counsel and uh, coach on the side, uh, church planners, ministers, pastors, leaders. And I know you've got a heart for the next generation. How can people get in touch with you? So they can go um, to my, I have a website, just Dave, D-A-V-E, page, P-A-G-E at, uh, excuse me, dot org. So just DavePage.org is it would be the simplest way. Um, DavePage.org. But that'd be the easiest way to start. Um, another thing that I do, um, so and I didn't plan this, but five years ago, through a couple who were an unchurched couple, asked me to do their wedding. I did it. It kind of snowballed. I started Wedding Pastor Dave. And I have that as well, WeddingPastorDave.com. And so these pastors watched me build this prototype. And now I've helped pastors all over the country uh, start their own wedding business, primarily reaching out to unchurched couples yeah. and weddings for them, befriending them, and then many of them who have come to Christ, many of them who've come to be part of their church. And that's been kind of a joy is to be part of that as well and help other pastors, and especially some guys who plant churches, uh, church planners who go into a community and they've raised money, but another 500000 1500 a month goes a long way Heck yeah. doing weddings and helping meet couples that they normally wouldn't meet. Absolutely. So- I've got my, uh, my a pastor lives across the street from me and uh, I had volunteered to do a funeral for a one-year-old. Turned out my wife goes, you said when? And I said, well, they asked me to, and she's like, no, our daughter has surgery on that day. I have a special needs daughter. And, uh, she, she, she's had multiple surgeries. And so they, my wife goes, you dummy, that's the day that, uh, so I, I went across the street and the pastor across the street said, Oh, he goes, I love, yes, I'll do it. He goes, I love doing funerals and weddings. And he's just like, he's just got such a shepherd's heart, man. 
And, uh, sure enough, uh, the, one of the family members from that came to faith. Um, you know, uh, it, it just, it's a beautiful thing. And many church, we've done a whole episode on weddings and funerals on our other show, Church Planner Podcast, um, about that. So that may, you might be a resource to tap into that for sure. Well, Dave, look, um, I, I got one last question for you. It comes every podcast. You have not been a victim on here before. So, uh, you will now, um, probably regret that they'll, they'll warn you. Did you not know when you went on there? Um, so I uh, like, we've mentioned him already here today, but, um, if you and Rick Warren, this is the question we ask everyone, not Rick. It changes every time. If you and Rick Warren yeah. were to get into a physical fist fight, who would win? A physical fist fight with Rick? And and uh, he's not listening to this podcast. So you don't have to worry about, you know, the smack talk. Yeah, I think I think I would win a fist fight. Yeah, baby. I think he would w- win a wrestling match. How's that? Ooh, ooh. Now, I okay, so you got a basketball jersey on, right? Or a What's that? I think I- well, he's bigger than I am, but I think I'm a little quicker than he is. And, yeah. Uh, you know? Now, are you tall or are you standing up? I'm standing up. I have one of these stand-up desks that I just love, and so I'm actually standing oh, man. up the desk. But I am 6'4 as well. So oh, I man. See, I, I've, I've been feeling this thing during this podcast, like my short man syndrome has just <laughs> been going off the chain. And, and I'm like, he's either standing or really tall or – Horror of horrors, he's both. And uh, so, you know, we, we've got big, bad Dave Page on here today. And uh, Dave, it has been a pleasure. We really appreciate you kicking down wisdom for our church planners, both in print and in spoken form. Uh, thanks for coming on here. It's DavePage.org, and uh, we appreciate it. And uh, with that, hey, guys, thanks for joining us for another edition of Hardcore Church Planning. And Arnold? You know what to do. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.